What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Angle of Pursuit podcast, your fantasy football and sports betting home over at fakepigskin.com. I'm your host, Kyle Robert. You follow me on Twitter at NotoriousKRO. With me once again, it's Brian Twining. What's up, Brian? What's going on, Kyle? I know we're here to talk the uh, the most infamous position in fantasy football today, the tight ends. Who who the hell can ever predict this position for fantasy football? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll have some good decisions, obviously, not only at the top, but names that could be in the conversation uh, for the middle section and guys that may have just missed it that might be, you know, looking to make a spot come June, July, August. Um, but, you know, Brian, I, I mentioned it off the top of, of our shows now, and uh, we're your fantasy football and sports betting home, and I feel like we've really neglected the second part. Uh, so as our resident Yankee fan, I wanted to kind of get some thoughts from oh. you because uh, you guys just keep losing players left and right. Stanton went down again. I mean, who could have seen that coming? There's literally no way of predicting uh, uh, Giancarlo <laughs> getting hurt. But uh, I'm looking at the World Series odds, and you guys are the betting favorite. And I know you got Garrett Cole, but uh, losing Severino for the season, Paxton's out for a while. Who knows what's up with Giancarlo? Um you know, are, are no. you, are, should you be, a, you know, as, should you be the favorite heading into the season? Well, it, you know, and, and that's not to mention Aaron Judge has still yet to swing a bat against live pitching. So we're still, we're going down that road again. But, you know, I had seen somebody tweet earlier in the week about the Yankees won 103 games or whatever it was last year without Severino. They didn't have Garrett Cole. Giancarlo Stanton missed the majority of the season. Aaron Judge missed two months. And this is pretty much they're they're an improved team considering they got the best pitcher in Major League Baseball in free agency and Garrett Cole. So I'm not as worried about them. Uh, I I am worried about my bet that I made earlier in the month where I took them as a future at like three to one to win the World Series, but I still think they warrant being the favorite in the AL for sure. Yeah, and I know like they won a lot of games last year and were incredible and had. Uh, you know, a multitude of injuries and had Gio Urshela step up and, you know, DJ LeMahieu was incredible, even though he left Coors and uh, they were able to cobble together. And obviously your bullpen being as strong as it is helps um, kind of make up for some of the the lacking in starting pitching, but it, it feels really, um, I guess, dangerous to, to risk or to, to kind of count on that to happen again. But uh, it's still really early, so they'll, I'm sure they have, they have plenty of time. And, you know, the the Dodgers still want to move Ross Stripling. There's still some pieces I think they could go get uh, to kind of solidify that rotation a little bit. But, uh, you know, when playoff time comes around, you really need those starters. And obviously having Garrett Cole's nice, but when your two is Tanaka and I don't even know who your three is, um, that, that seems risky. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would guess their three right now would probably be uh, Jay Happ at the moment, who was definitely not very good last Yikes. year. Yeah, it's Yikes. that's not great looking at that going into a playoff series, which guaranteed they're going to look at doing something. Um, it, they're going to have to coming down the stretch this year. They're going to have to improve their pitching with the absence of Severino. So I'm going to throw out a few numbers at you, and I want to just kind of get your get your thoughts on on some of these World Series odds. Obviously, you know, depending on where you look, it's going to be a little different. Uh, but obviously, as I said, Yankees are are the favorite. Uh, Dodgers, 
375. They're right there. Um, then it's the Astros, who we'll see what <laughs> happens with them. Um, you know, the baseball pitchers are already flunking, um, you know, all of their hitters, so that that's definitely something. Uh, the Braves and Nats are 14 to one. The Twins are 20 to one. The Mets are 20 to one. Phillies, Cardinals are all at 20 to one. Rays at 22, Cubs at 25, White Sox at 25, which I think is really interesting. Um, even in the Reds are right there too, and then the Angels, um, and then it kind of jumps up to 28 with the Indians and Brewers. Then we're talking like 30 to one on the Red Sox, the A's, the San Diego Padres are 40. Any of those numbers kind of jump any, or any, you know, any of those teams kind of jump out at you as somebody you think might be worth, you know, taking a little bit of a gamble on? We talked prior to the, to the pod about uh, particular players on a specific team for your uh, baseball draft, and that for me, it's got to be the Minnesota Twins. I think they're they're right there on the cusp of being yeah. a contender for the AL pennant with Nelson Cruz coming into town. Barrios is just another year in. He's he's looking like a certified ace. Um, the back end of their bullpen is going to be a lot better. They added Kenta Maeda from the Dodgers, which I, I like that for a rotation that really needed yep. it. And, Playoff experience. Um, yeah, and their and their their uh, their lineup is deep. I mean, Buxton has never really become what we wanted him to become, but he's still really solid for you know what he is, and he's hitting eighth or ninth for this team on, on most days. So uh, I do like that. I think the Cubs at twenty five to one is interesting, uh, just based on kind of what they are and. Obviously, Darvish and Cole Hamels will have to kind of figure it out, Quintana. But uh, if they could put some of those pieces together, they could be they could be nice. And and the Angels have done them a lot, considering uh, where they usually are. But um, you know, I I don't know what Artie Marino's doing. I think if you added Ross Stripling and Jock Peterson to this team, you feel a lot more stable about who they are and where they're going as a as an organization. But uh, it definitely doesn't hurt to add Anthony Rendon to your. Uh, to your lineup. Yeah, him hit with Mike Trout there. That's going to be a pretty potent lineup. And let's not forget about Shohei Otani, who they're going to get mm-hmm. an entire season out of. So yeah. Anaheim's going to be a, a powerful team, and they're going to score some runs. They're just going to have difficulty preventing teams from scoring runs. Yeah, and then my San Francisco Giants are 200-1. to 1. That feels like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, unless you're betting on us to be the to to finish last in the NL, um, I don't I don't think you're gonna you're gonna hit that one. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I'm definitely gonna keep an eye on some of these numbers as the off season rolls along. Um, I think there I think there could be some some decent value, and uh, we'll have to uh, we'll have to track it. But uh, let's talk tight ends. That's what we're here to talk. There's a lot to get into obviously uh i have our rankings pulled up so we can kind of go player by player but um it's george kittle and travis kelsey in some order for everybody's ranking and then a, a big drop off to the kind of the rest of the group right yeah oh, yeah for sure i mean we saw philly i i i had zach Ertz ranked i think maybe number one last year and i didn't realize like how involved dallas goddard was going to be so the the one and two spots are solidified by Kelsey and Kittle, and it's basically based it's basically a preference as to who you prefer. Yeah, yeah, you went Kelsey, I went Kittle, um, but I like I don't 
blame anybody who goes the other way. Um, Kittle's really involved, but so is Kelsey, and he has Mahomes. So if you went that route, uh, I would get it. I just think George Kittle's so good and so explosive, and um, you know, re- really, really uh, elite uh, as a as a pass blocker, which keeps him on the field. And um, yeah, I think he, I think he's incredible. Uh, after that, we both have Ertz as number three, and I guess maybe. It might be time to consider not having Zach Ertz that high, Brian. I mean, like you mentioned, Dallas Goddard became more involved last year. Um, there's probably going to be more involved again this year. Um, are, are we kind of just penciling him in from previous history and, and not digging into the numbers quite enough at, uh, by having Ertz uh, as number three? I, he definitely holds name values still, which – we could fall victim to that and be burned again, but I I looked at it in a way of I think an improving an improvement on the outside for Philadelphia as far as the wide receivers go. Some would think that that would actually take away targets from Zacherts and the ability for him to put up numbers, but I think that's actually going to help him because last year we saw we saw Carson Wentz or whoever was playing quarterback really only have Goddard and Ertz on the outside to throw to because their wide receivers were probably the worst group in the NFL. So yeah. if they can, if they can improve on the outside and get, get some guys that stay on the freaking field and don't have butterfingers, I think we could see Ertz return to the kind of stuff that he was doing two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. And it was interesting because both Ertz and Goddard finished in the top 10 at tight end. If you're going based on points per game, uh, Ertz was six, and Goddard, actually, Ertz was five, and Goddard was 12. So uh, that's points per game with some, some outliers kind of mixed in there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, both guys are obviously incredibly valuable. And, and Goddard's somebody who, you know, we'll talk about guys that are kind of at the back end of our rankings or just missed the cut uh, in a little bit. But uh, he's in that kind of cluster for me where I'm gonna, where I'm going to put him, what I'm going to do with him because – I, I, as of right now, I have an empty spot, and we're going to talk about that because uh, Greg Olson is now a Seattle Seahawk, and um, that position had uh, been filled by Will Disley, and I don't necessarily want to not be a, a Disley fan just because Greg Olson's there, but I think with those multiple mouths to feed, and then you know, obviously DK Metcalf coming forward, Tyler Lockett still being there, a team that still runs the ball a lot. Um, this is an offense that I'm going to have a lot of issues kind of figuring out how it's going to work and uh, who I want to favor uh, at, at the tight end position. Yeah, I that was something that was really difficult for me to rank because you could, it, minus Greg Olson, there was an argument to be made for Will Disley to be in the top 10 at tight end. Mm-hmm. But with the addition of Olson, we kind of have, we really don't know what, how they're going to deploy these guys. I mean, we even saw uh, Hester play tight end for them and he he did pretty well so who knows if they're running a three tight ends out there it's gonna look like Baltimore did two two years ago with you know guys are getting two catches a game um so like that situation kind of kind of scares me and it'll be interesting to see how it kind of develops over the spring yeah no I totally totally agree and like you said it's gonna be one to monitor um obviously Greg Olson had had his moments last year uh, in his 14 games, catching you know 600 600 yards and uh, only two touchdowns, which is kind of underwhelming for him. But I could see him having another 
big season. Oh, and Jacob Hollister is still there, and he could be involved too. And it could be, you know, all these like you mentioned, all these mouths to feed, and just kind of be a mess and, and a situation we want to avoid. Um, let's talk Evan Ingram for a second, because I want to look at kind of what we expect from him. Uh, you have him as number five tight end. I have him down at seven. Um, in terms of talent, I love the guy, but his ability to stay on the field is really becoming a problem. Um, and obviously, you know, this offense, we hope gets, you know, is improving. Uh, if they can add some offensive line help, either via free agency or the draft, that would make a lot, um, a lot uh, of an impact for this team. But, um, you know, in terms of what we do with Evan Ingram, are we just ranking him based upon what we think he might be able to do, or should we kind of look at what he's done so far um, and, and maybe temper expectations a little bit? I, for me, with with Ingram, I'm definitely going based on this is kind of the Jordan Reed argument for the last like half a decade of <laughs> when he when he's on the field. He's easily a top five talent at the position, and he can easily be top five at the position for fantasy terms. So, I mean, you look at his his per game averages. He's you know he's averaging around five to six catches a game, upwards of forty five to fifty yards a game, and you know that's those are good base numbers for an offense that's probably going to get better this year. And if he can play all sixteen ga- or seventeen games, who knows? Maybe we get an extra game this year. Um, you know, you're looking at a guy that could approach double digit touchdowns possibly and, and close to a thousand yards receiving from the tight end position. So I think yeah. as far as upside goes, he, he definitely is one of the tops for potential. Yeah, no, uh, but you know, we're, we're looking at his game logs in 2017 where he was great, played 15 games, had 115 targets, 700 yards, six touchdowns. So you know what his upside is. But eleven touchdowns in t- or eleven games in twenty eighteen, only eight games in twenty nineteen. Um, he's definitely gonna be a guy that uh, going into the season, I'm gonna be curious to see um, kind of where he pans out and and what posi- you know where people are willing to to draft him because um, like I'm looking on on uh, fantasy football calculator right now, which actually seems to be getting some um, kind of relevant. Uh, draft data and, and Evan Ingram's the third tight end off the board and fourth round and like at, at this Damn. point I don't, know that I, I don't know that I can pay that price for him uh, with so many questions and so much you know, uncertainty around him. Yeah, I for for that price tag, I I wouldn't reach that far. It yeah. it, it goes to the argument of the tight end position. Like you know, there's so many possibilities later in the draft. I'm not willing to spend that kind of draft capital for a guy who may miss half the season. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a few names that might be changing situations uh, or that have, a you know, things going in new ways. And we'll start with Austin Hooper in Atlanta, who, uh, you know, last year was great, was, you know, obviously didn't play a full season, uh, but had 75 catches, almost 800 yards, six touchdowns. Um, on a points-per-game basis, was tight end four behind Kelsey, Kittle, Mark Andrews. Um, now it looks like, you know, basically Atlanta came out and said that he will not be back with the team. Um, are you comfortable in Hooper and his skill set that 
whatever team ends up getting him will likely want to feature him, will want to put him in situations to be successful, and he'll be a guy that heading into next year we're, we're both excited about because uh, based upon our ranks, I have Austin Hooper at six, and you have him at seven, so we're both you know pretty high on him. Um, where are you at with him, assuming you know he ends up somewhere else? I, I mean, I like his skill set, and it, that's mainly the reason why he is at seven for me. And if I, if I knew he was staying with Atlanta, he probably would have been in that four or five range, just knowing the kind of usage that he got in that offense. But with the uncertainty of where he's going to fall, I think that is definitely going to affect his fantasy production because unlike Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, I don't see Austin Hooper as being one of those like game changing tight ends where he's going to be the featured guy in an offense. So it's really going to be predicated on the the style of team he goes to. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting too. Like I, I'm looking at our ranks. So obviously, you know, we have Kittle, Kelsey and Ertz in some order, and there's a lot of safety obviously in uh, Kittle and Kelsey, especially uh, beyond there. It's, there's a, you know, it's interesting mix. Yep. Like I go Andrews, Waller, Hooper, Evan Ingram, Hunter, Henry, Jared Cook. And you go uh, Waller, Evan Ingram, Mark Andrews, uh, Austin Hooper, Jared Cook. Like I feel like that kind of cluster of team, of players is all pretty interchangeable. And like if you wanted to rank one above the other, I'm not sure I'm going to have a super strong argument. Uh, obviously, you go Darren Waller over all of them. Um, is it a understanding kind of what that offense is and and kind of where? that, you know, Gruden wants to take it? Or do you think that could shift dramatically depending on kind of who's under center for them and what else, you know, they do in free agency and, and in the draft? You know, as far as Darren Waller goes, he, he kind of fits in the Evan Ingram mold for me this upcoming season. Like, we saw what he can do. And if they get him more involved as far as, like, finding the end zone – you're looking at a guy who could finish first for the position. So it, I don't I don't think it's really going to matter who's playing quarterback for the Raiders as he was and is their their best mismatch on the offensive side of the ball as far as receiving goes. So I think he's pretty safe going into 2020 as a safe bet to produce for you. Yeah, I feel like in terms of talent, in terms of versatility, like he's way up there. Like, I feel like you can pluck him and put him into a lot of different offenses, unlike Austin Hooper. Yep. Um, and, and he could thrive. But even like like Mark Andrews, I think in that Raven system is going to be so useful and such a big part of what Lamar wants to do that I think he'll be super safe this year. That's why I put him at number four. And honestly, it, I'm probably going to move him up to three with Ertz dropping down to four. It's, it's close and going back and forth with those two. Uh, but yeah, that whole cluster of like Darren Waller, Austin Hooper, Evan Ingram, you, uh, you know, you didn't include Hunter Henry. He's like 10th for you. Um, and then Jared Cook down in New Orleans, like he was pretty rock solid for when he was on the field. And um, obviously with Drew Brees coming back, it, it's a nice addition. Uh, 700 yards, almost, you know, nine touchdowns. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. Um, for a, a tight end that it seems to finally have figured it out over the past couple seasons. Um, is there, I guess, is there, you know, is there one guy you feel the most comfortable, you know, cause obviously based upon rankings, you want to, you know, bake in some safety, you want to bake in some upside, 
Um, but if you're looking for kind of like stability and reliability, is there a name in that chunk that, that you kind of lean to more than others? Uh, I, for me, it would, it would probably have to be Waller just with his involvement in the passing game with the amount of targets that he gets. Like, yeah. I mean, we all know the kind of production that Mark Andrews can put up in that Ravens offense when that thing is clicking. But at the same time, they're a run first team and there's no guarantee that next year they're going to kind of throttle it down. And instead of smashing the dolphins in the week one and scoring 50 points on them, they're not just going to run the ball for 300 yards. So, yeah. Well, and they also, you know, they have Hollywood Brown. Um, they have Miles Boykin. They could add another receiver. Like I could see them, like as the season went along, obviously they still use those tight ends like crazy. Um, but they, you know, they got their receivers involved. And I think, uh, a little more usage like that could make things interesting. Um, based upon that ADP I was kind of talking about earlier, Brian, uh, I think we're both going to be featuring Darren Waller a lot because he is the eighth tight end off the board in uh, the middle of the sixth round. He's after Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper, Mark Andrews, uh, Ertz, Ingram, Kelsey, and Kittle. So, um, you know, that's kind of our, our, where our wheelhouse when we start even considering tight ends um, if we don't go with one of the elite guys. Yeah, you know, I I still don't get the Hunter Henry love. I mean, he's another guy. Like, we have yet to see him stay healthy consistently. He seems to always be banged up. Yeah. No more Phillip Rivers. Apparently, yeah. like, it, he's pretty much gone. So they're going to go more towards probably a conservative style offense. Even even if they bring in a rookie, like you, we're not we're not going to see them throwing the ball 40, 40, 50 times a game anymore in, in L.A. So, yeah, H- Henry is a fade, a hard fade for me coming into 2020. But he was also tight end nine, playing only 12 games a season ago, caught 55 of the 76 targets for over 600 yards, five touchdowns. So. I think that's part of the reason why he's one of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He's one of ten tight ends to average double fit, double digit fantasy points per game last season. So um, that I think that's kind of the excitement. Obviously, with his upside, he could be you know in that Andrews kind of. He could basically be that first tight end after Kelsey and Kittle. And um, you know, honestly, if he overtook both of them and had a monster season I wouldn't be surprised but yeah I think a lot of it will depend on kind of what they want to do at quarterback and and what that offense looks like because as we talked about with receivers if it's Easton Stick or Tyrod Taylor I'm not sure I'm going to be quite as excited as if it's um, you know somebody else I mean one thing to say about Tyrod Taylor we saw Charles Clay be a pretty relevant fantasy tight end when when sure. Taylor was in Buffalo. So who who knows? Maybe Henry actually increases his value with Taylor. That's very very true. Um, do you have a favorite landing? I mean, I know we bounced around a little bit, but for Hunter Henry, is there like a team that when you think about a a, a place where he could be successful, a place where he might make sense and, and kind of help the offense? Um, is there a, a team or two that kind of come to mind? Wait, are we talking about Hayden Hurst? Hunter Henry. I mean, uh, no, sorry, Austin Hooper. Uh, oh, Austin yeah. Hooper. It, you know, we'll, <sighs> I talk mean, about, we'll talk about Hayden Hurst here in a second because he's also another guy. Yes. Sounds like he could be elsewhere. But uh, if you're if you're picking a, a favorite landing spot for, for Hooper, where are, you, where are you envisioning him? I mean, I think the ideal spot for a guy like him would probably be New England. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they have yet to replace Gronk or 
they haven't had the receiving threat at the position since Gronk. So yeah. I think that's a good spot. And then another sneaky place I actually like him going who has tons of cap space is the Indianapolis Colts because they're they're letting Eric Ebron walk. Jack Doyle is more of a blocking kind of guy. He's the little short short yardage tight end. They run tons of two tight end sets. If they go out and sign Phillip Rivers and Austin Hooper, mm-hmm. you add that to that running game, you're looking at pretty much the same same value as he would have been with Atlanta for for Hooper if he goes to Indianapolis. Yeah, no, I, I like both those calls quite a bit. Um, I think Washington could be interesting with Ron Rivera going there. If you plug him into kind of the Greg Olson role, if you get a little better play from Dwayne Haskins, maybe that makes sense. Um, I, I don't – I mean, Pittsburgh could be interesting, if, but it, it really depends on what they do at quarterback. Um, I think I think the Bears could be interesting because I, I, as much as I wanted Trey Burton to happen, it's clearly not going to happen. Um, so they, you know, don't make sense. And then, you know, my Tennessee Titans, they, <laughs> I, they might need a tight end. I think I think Delaney might be back as much as I love him. Uh, he's definitely been banged up a lot. And then Johnny Smith, like, I, I like his potential, but he really seems like a – kind of flashy play guy, not super consistent. So I think if they can upgrade, and then, you know, even Houston could make sense for a team. You know, I, I keep waiting for Jordan Akins and, and some of the players they've drafted to pop, but, um, you know, if they have some cap flexibility, he could make sense there. Yeah, that's a good call. I didn't, I've never even thought about the possibility of him going to Houston. That would just add another weapon to Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson, and that would push push Watson into the top – the argument yeah. for the top quarterback. I make everyone hate DeAndre Hopkins even more. Uh, <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about Hayden Hurst. Uh, the first round pick the Ravens used before they took Lamar Jackson, uh, a guy that's kind of been marginalized in this offense. Obviously, Mark Andrews is their stud. Uh, Nick Boyle's still there to kind of chip in, help do some blocking. They can obviously add help. So uh, Hurst is widely available. Uh, you know, we've talked about, we, you know, obviously all the teams we threw out, Tennessee, New England, uh, obviously Atlanta needs a tight end now. Um, you know, there, there are some interesting landing spots. I love to see him, you know, kind of get a shot, but, you know, as you kind of proposed to me before the pod, like, is there a scenario where the Ravens trade Hayden Hurst to the, to the New England Patriots? I mean, if the... If the Patriots were willing to give up what Baltimore wanted, I mean, as much as it would hurt Baltimore to, to improve probably their arch nemesis team, it, they would have to do it because it kind of helps the Patriots out. The Ravens could probably get a pretty good draft pick for him considering Hurst was taken in the first round. Um, it's hard for me to fathom a world where the Ravens would trade with New England just knowing how – how everyone's trying to topple the Patriots still. Um, sure. But I do think that is like the number one landing spot for Hurst. If, if he were to pick, I think that'd probably be his preferred destination. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that obviously makes a ton of sense for a team that needs it. But, um, you know, I, I'm pretty much working under the scenario that, that he, uh, Brady's back under center there. Uh, but yeah, if, if Hayden Hurst ends up there and he's really going to be the guy, um, I think he could be in that conversation for the back end of of my of my rankings and kind of fill that that void because 
Um, I, I feel like there's, I, I have 10 names that I really like. I feel like 10 and 11, I'm pretty happy with. And then there's just a whole bunch of mess that kind of fills up the back end. Um, let's talk about some of the guys that made the cut and some of the guys that just missed the cut. So obviously, uh, after Jared Cook, you went Noah Fant, Hunter Henry, Mike Gesicki, and TJ Hawkinson. Um, you know, I'm, I, we talked about all my guys and then I went Tyler Higby, which I'm pretty surprised you didn't rank. Uh, but I mean, I get it. He's kind of in that mess. And then Mike Gesicki. So, um, let's talk about the guys that kind of missed the cut and, and what, and what we want to see or, uh, who we kind of tossed around. So, um, you know, you obviously ranked both the guys that were rookies last year. I think they both have a ton of potential, uh, Noah Fant. CJ Hawkinson, uh, you think they both have a chance to kind of build on what they did in year one and, and have a big year two? Yeah, I I like Fant to get just more involved into the offense. Like he showed how how athletic he is at the tight end position with multiple long runs after catches. Uh, he's a decent blocker. It, the Broncos offense, we saw it kind of get better at the end of the season with Drew Locke under center. So I just think we're going to see a, a, even more of a progression to uh, more passing there in Denver. And then Hawkinson, I just like him with how many weapons they have on the outside. And if he could stay healthy, it, we're looking at, you know, he's going to have the seam open all day. And if Stafford is still under center, or even if they draft Tua Tungavailoa, you know, who can – he could chuck the ball all over the field as well. I, I like Hawkinson as a potential breakout guy. Yeah, no, I, I mean, obviously we saw flashes um, last year from from Hawkinson before he got injured um, and with Stafford. So, yeah, I think there I think there's potential there. Uh, I think Noah Fan. it sounds like you're going to be a, a Drew Locke guy this year, Brian, with obviously you like Cortland Sutton, you like Noah Fant. Uh, the 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 Broncos and your fantasy teams are going to be simpatico this year. Yeah, I mean, it, he, he looks like a poor man's Josh Allen at the end of last year. He's got some good wheels on him. He's a big dude. He's got a cannon for an arm. He has he has better weapons than what Allen was working with as a rookie. Um, I like Cortland Sutton a lot better than a lot of other wide receivers out there as I had them ranked pretty high. I like Noah Fant. Their running game is really good. Their O-line is decent. They still have a good defense so they could see the ball a lot. I, I like Denver to compete for a playoff spot in, in 2020. Wow. It sounds like me last year. That it didn't go well <laughs> last year. Good luck to you, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, obviously, yeah, I think both, both, uh, I think that offense just could be interesting and, you know, if you put Josh Allen in that offense with all the pieces they have, I think they'd be. It, it would be really interesting. Uh, okay, so for the guys that didn't make the cut, but you think could make sense, is there a name that you think kind of stands out above the rest, or, or who's in that conversation? Well, I mean, it's my favorite, or I should, should I say, my second favorite beverage during breakfast, and that's orange juice, and. How could you not want more O.J. Howard in your life just knowing how good and how skilled that guy is? If they could ever yeah, get... Like, I don't I know. Feel like it... I feel like we're having the same conversation we had last year. Like, everybody loved O.J. Howard, and then at the end of the season, nobody liked O.J. Howard because he didn't come through in an offense that doesn't really want to use the tight end. So 
like he's a guy that would make sense. Like if, if he went to Atlanta or if he went to uh, New England or he went to an offense that was going to use the tight end in Indianapolis, I'd be all over him. But just like I, I don't know what we want to expect from from a player that's not getting utilized by a team that doesn't want to use the tight end. Yeah, I I mean at this point where we're at like the back end. Normally my my technique with tight ends in fantasy is that if I don't get one of the top two guys, I don't, I don't even get into the third position. I'm normally waiting until one of my last picks to take a guy, and I'm looking for the uh, somebody with the greatest upside. And I just think like Howard falls into that category of somebody who could potentially show out. Yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. Like, obviously, like you want to take your take your shots because there's so many other guys kind of in this range that if it doesn't work out, you know, you're able to punt. And like Mark Andrews is the prime example from obviously from last year is a guy who was pretty much an afterthought of the position that ended up becoming obviously a, an elite uh, fantasy difference maker. Uh, Fan Hawkinson are in that list for me, obviously the Seattle guys. I think Ian Thomas could be interesting. Um, you know, we've obviously seen him flash yeah. during his time in Carolina, depending on what they do. Uh, a healthy season from David and Joku could be fun. Um, you know, I'm really curious to see how Stefanski kind of tweaks that offense. Obviously, we've seen Minnesota have success using their tight ends. So, uh, and David and Joku's an elite athlete. We talked about the injury woes that are uh, that Jarvis Landry is currently dealing with. Maybe and Joku kind of soaks up some of those targets, even if it's just earlier in the year. Uh, he's another guy that that could be in that conversation um, as we head into the season. Yeah. It- all of those guys, and then the the two other names that I'm really intrigued about, kind of monitoring what's going on at their teams going into the next season, are uh, Jace Sternberger for the Green Bay Packers and Blake Jarwin for the Dallas Cowboys. Because if Dallas does not re-sign Jason Witten, which is kind of looking like they're going to let him walk, they're looking at Jarwin and Dalton Schultz as their two top tight ends, their receiving threats. And we, we've okay, so let's... Let's talk about the Cowboys tight ends because I, I was going to ask you, is there a world where there's a fantasy relevant tight end in, in Dallas, not named Jason Witten? I, I think, I think Blake Jarwin fits that fits that category perfectly. I mean, you're looking at an offense who like led the NFL in red zone possessions or something like that. And they were tops in the league in yards. Um, they're going to score a ton of points again. If the, everything continues, I, I can only see them getting better. Under Mike McCarthy, I've said that multiple times. And, you know, if you're looking for a big-bodied threat other than the guys on the outside and Zeke, it, it's got to be Jarwin. Yeah. I just, like, I, I like Jarwin. I like Dalton Schultz. I think they could be interesting. And, obviously, you know, if Dallas were to let uh, let Amari go somewhere else, maybe they spend a little bit of money on Austin Hooper or Hayden Hurst, that could be interesting. But, um, I don't know. I just, I really like, I, I've, I've had a few stash of those guys in dynasty leagues in especially tight end premium dynasty leagues and just haven't really gotten a lot out of them. And, you know, as for the green Bay, like that, that's just a situation where tight ends, where tight ends go to die. Like there, <laughs> there's no, there hasn't been a fantasy relevant guy since like Jermichael Finley. Like I, I'm, I'm all, I'm all set on, on green Bay uh, tight ends. Yeah, but you know, who who knows? Maybe this is the year that Aaron Rodgers finally finally turns the page into uh, old manhood and realizes that 
every quarterback's best friend is his tight end, and he just starts feeding him the ball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, no. The, the, when he finally realizes that it's going to be the uh, the year he the year he retires, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm all set." Um, yeah, I don't. I, I like the I like the Dallas call. I think there is potential there. I just at this point, I don't know who it's going to be. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, John and Smith is probably the only other person that's really been in this conversation. Um, and, and if we're forgetting somebody at FPAOP on Twitter, let us know uh, who we who we left out because I, I think we've hit anybody that that could be relevant or should be relevant, and tell us you know who we misranked or. Uh, all that good stuff. Or OJ Howard is just, yeah, I mean, I, I think the next <laughs> couple weeks will be interesting. I think with when we start getting some, okay, this quarterback's going here, Phillip Rivers is going here, Cam Newton's staying there, uh, you know, Austin Hooper's going here, oh, Hayden Hurst has been traded. We'll be able to get a lot more clarity. Um, I did want to mention one thing before we get out of here, and, and I was actually looking at my running back rankings. Brian, I have a feeling we're going to need to rank Josh Jacobs a little bit higher. Um, there, there's some positive uh, news coming out of Oakland as he uh, he should be involved more passing game now. You know, coaches say lots of things that they don't actually follow through. So, you know, we might be buying into the the off season buzz a little too much. But the, this guy's a volume monster. Clearly, they they see him as a piece of their offense. And depending on what they're doing at quarterback, I think you know should see 300 and something touches. 350 touches, uh, both via the pass and on the ground. And, um, you know, I put him at running back nine. Uh, if you missed that show, you can go back and check it out. But uh, he's the guy that, that has got a bump for me this week. Yeah, I, I have him as number 10. And, I, I mean, hearing the news, if, the, if they're going to get him more involved in the passing game, he's probably skyrocketing up, like, in the 7-8 range, like right mm-hmm. after Aaron Jones. Me. Yeah, like right now, on in, in on, in terms of average draft position, he's a guy that's going kind of in that mid to late second round. So, like, I could see him kind of being in the end of the or very beginning of the second, very end of the first, uh, maybe even a little bit higher come come draft time. And um, yeah, I feel like he's a guy that if you really want him as as one as your RB one, you're going to have to take him kind of in that seven to fifteen range in twelve team leagues. It's especially just imagine if if Tom Brady signs with the Raiders and they get rid of right. Derek Carr, you're going to be looking right. at a more much more efficient offense and possible many more scoring opportunities for Jacobs. Yeah. Yep, and uh, obviously becomes a player that you know. If we had to work under that scenario, we put Tom Brady there. We we think of a. I mean, is he going to jump Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon and and Alvin Kamara and Nick Chubb for you? Uh, I wouldn't go so far as him jumping Alvin Kamara, but I would probably put Jacobs pretty close to that right in now, the top like, in that right top after, five range. Yeah, so right after, right between in the Zeke, uh, Saquon, Dalvin range. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think under right under those guys and right above Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette, Joe Mixon, I think would be uh, the spot for me. But, yeah, um, especially yeah. with uh, Matt LaFleur already coming out and say not really being uh, committed to Aaron Jones as the bell cow in, in Green Bay. The more things change in Green Bay, the more they stay the same. It's yep. hilarious. Yep. Uh, all right, Brian, this was good times. Good to catch up. Good to talk some tight ends. 
Uh, we'll have to figure out next week. I think maybe we'll take a look at some overall ranks. Uh, you know, maybe we could do like a first round mock and, and kind of figure out where we think some of these guys might go. We can look at obviously talk ADP and, um, you know, with March Madness rapidly approaching, we can talk uh, some March Madness and teams that we're targeting uh, both in the um, conference tournaments and in. Their, oh, yeah. Yeah. So those, uh, those get started next week, by the way, the conference tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I cannot wait. I, it's going to be so much fun. But uh, we'll talk about that next week. So maybe we can uh, figure out a way to preview a couple of those and, and talk about teams we like. Uh, but for Brian Twining, I'm Kyle Robert, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.